0: Heko nae nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. First word that comes to mind is shagging, bong, rooting,
1: <laughs> Procreation. The ins and outs of sex. <laughs> okay.
0: uh, oh,
1: bang. 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 What? Bang. <laughs> so it's called bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, bang. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to ask you a couple of questions about love. I know a lot about love. What do you know? When you get to know each other, you start to get
1: together, and you feel like you really love each other, like me and Lucas starting to like each other and know each other a lot. Are you in
0: love? Are you telling me you're in love at the moment?
1: Yes, my head just keeps on thinking
0: about it. Wow, well, yeah, that sounds like love to me. I want a boyfriend. What do you? What do you even do with a boyfriend? You play with them, don't you? Yeah, I guess you do. And you have dates with them? (laughs) What would you do on a date when you're five? What would you do? You could go with your mum. Kia ora, welcome to episode two of the new season of Bang. I'm Melody Thomas and today we're going to talk about dating but not the kind you do with your mum. We already looked at dating and hooking up last season, but we were focused more on people in their late teens and 20s. Today we're going to talk to people about meeting someone new when you're a little bit older. I just, ugh, I can't be bothered wasting my time. Plus, the Me Too movement has led to some long overdue conversations about sexual assault and harassment, but how has it affected dating? Jean-Hannah Edelstein writes a column in The Guardian called Dating After Me Too, and she helps nervous singles navigate things like flirting, approaching strangers, and whether you have to ask for permission before you kiss someone.
2: There has to be some indication that that is reciprocated, and if it's not there, that
0: is risky. Also because the subject matter is sex, there is some frank language, and in this edition, some swear words. As always, the stories you're about to hear are real, but some of the names have been changed. Let's get into it. At the risk of sounding really old, when I was last dating, there weren't actually many dates involved. You either met through work or through friends or, and this was pretty common... You went out to a gig or a party or a bar and stumbled home with someone and then woke up in a relationship. I know some of you are judging me right now, but my guess is that more of you are nodding along. But things have changed really quickly. And now that every single human with a cell phone has access to dating apps that offer the chance to meet someone new at the swipe of a screen, dating's fast becoming the new normal. Soon we're going to hear some really great stories from real-life Kiwis navigating all of this right now, but before we dive into the detail, I thought it could be interesting to zoom out and get a feel for the broader picture. The next couple of minutes of interviews were recorded on a Friday night when I got to use one of my secret talents, which is knowing when the couple next to you at a bar or a restaurant is on a first or second date, before busting in on them to find out how it was all going. A warning, you're about to be transported to the middle of a busy bar, so get ready for noise and outside voices. Are you guys on a date tonight?
2: Uh, We're on a third date.
0: So what was your first date and what about it worked well enough that you went on to date number two and date number
1: three? The ease of conversation really. And that's what, that's what I dig most. I think everyone digs. It's like, can you chat to someone? Like, when I left England and came back to New Zealand, I really felt that New Zealanders didn't know how to date. The core construct of a date is to figure out if that person's cool and if you're cool and if you dig each other. I didn't feel it was like that. It was like, am I going to find some person that's going to stick around for a
0: Did you date before Tinder and apps came along? Nah, it was like meet in a bar, go home one time, and then both together. <laughs> is this your first date? Yes. Yeah. How did you meet?
1: In town yeah, last, last weekend. Last
0: week. You're not on Tinder or doing that. I disagree with it. It's more personality than like just sheer looks. Are you on Tinder? Yep,
1: yeah, every every now and then.
0: Do you have a preference when it comes to meeting someone in that way, versus? I hate it.
1: I hate talking to people like digitally. You know, you get a lot from someone's tone.
0: How old are you guys?
1: 21. 18. Not personally into Tinder that much. I think it kind of takes the whole, you know, pursuit, exciting stuff out of dating and relationships. So,
0: are you on a date? Uh, yes. Have you used Tinder or? Um... Nah,
3: nah, 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 nah. I like to, I like to know people face to face. You know, reality.
0: I'm the same, but it can be a little bit hard because getting to an age and my friends are all paired up, and like I was overseas last year in Spain, and everyone talks to you when you go out. Whereas in New Zealand, you're just like hang out with your friends and no one comes and talks to you. We're not as open to meeting new people and I think um, people don't really have the confidence to approach strangers. You're about to meet someone who shares some of those sentiments. Ollie is a 34-year-old straight Wellingtonian. He comes from a creative musical background and he's a bit of a rascal. I imagine him almost like the tramp in Lady and the Tramp but in human form. By the time we sit down, he's agreed to let me probe into his love life, but that doesn't mean he's completely relaxed.
1: As the days sort of crept closer, I've become more nervous about it because I'm not incredibly open about my personal life. And, and while I, you know I just see this as an interesting thing to do, I still feel quite, I guess, vulnerable and exposed in a way, mm. documenting it.
0: Ollie's been using dating apps on and off since he and his girlfriend broke up seven months ago. He still goes out to gigs sometimes, but he's never felt hugely comfortable approaching strangers, and he's become more reserved with age.
1: You get to a point where it's not that easy to meet people, you know? Like, you don't just... You know, I, I don't think we have an open culture in New Zealand, especially I don't think men are very good at communicating or being open or confident, and women are the same that they don't necessarily feel confident putting themselves out there either. So there's always this kind of awkward dance that we all kind of do.
0: Like the primary school dances where all the boys are on one side and all the girls are on the other totally. side. Like are we still stuck there?
1: Yeah, we really are. I
0: mean, it's... Dating after his breakup was hard at first. Ollie had been in long-term relationships for about a decade and he found himself looking for that feeling that he'd gotten so used to of being totally comfortable and at ease with someone else. But people who make you feel that way right off the bat a few and far between.
1: We had such a great kind of emotional and like intellectual and, and physical connection. Like, you know, so many of the things were there that it's hard for me to actually picture myself having quite that. Mm. And I think that's because there's still a disconnection process, you know? Like, we weren't destined to, to keep going on that road, but so many things were... Unlike I I may ever experience again. And I'm not saying that anyone's going to be less than that, but.
0: It's kind of hard to live up to.
1: Yeah. That's sort of what I've been going through is like trying to replace it as quickly as possible so that like the kind of lonely times or the down times aren't as long. But now I'm realizing that that's not how I need to go about this, you know. Like if someone comes along, they're a completely different person, and I'm never going to replace my ex. I think it's coming to terms with that, that I'm not living in the shadow of that.
0: So here he is now, finally closing in on that place that you think you'll never get to in the immediate fallout following a breakup, of acceptance. And from here, he can finally see himself starting to open up to the idea of meeting someone again.
1: To be completely honest, I haven't had that many meetings of people on apps, lots yeah. of chat conversations that oh, kinda yeah. go nowhere. Yeah, I try and meet up with the people as soon as possible. Um because I find that and actually someone said this quite recently that I think I'm uh, more I actually probably am more appealing like in real life than online. Like my online thing is pretty bad, but I think in person like I you know Say it. Oh, I just think that I'm they don't a come catch. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I find people easy to, to get on with it, and I'm generally pretty warm and open and stuff.
0: So all of this was sitting in the back of my mind when I was visited by what I'd assumed and you probably assumed too, as a long-lost relic of '90s singledom—an ad for speed dating. It made me think: if Ollie's better in real life than online, maybe this would be perfect for him. Hi, I'm Alex. Hello, I'm Kathy. Alex and Kathy own The Choice. It's a speed dating company based in Wellington where singles in different age groups meet up for seven minutes of face-to-face interaction, hoping that a spark might fan into a flame. It's an alternative. People have tried, you know, the Tinder, the online, and they're tired of sitting at home typing, and it's... Um, Uh, face to face and uh, you have a conversation short conversation and you decide you want to go on on a date afterwards and hopefully match that's why this is so much better because I mean you might not match with everybody but you know you get an instinct don't you when you meet somebody whether there's a spark or whether you'd like to see them again for a coffee or something you're not looking at a photo of someone and when you see them they're about two foot tall and about (laughs) ten years older you know it's what you see is what you get after meeting with Alex and Kathy, I very nervously messaged Ollie to see if he might be keen for a speed dating assignment. And he agreed. Though, again, he did have some reservations.
1: Say, with an online app, you can swipe someone, but if they don't swipe you, it's just like, well, that's just my online persona. But the thing about speed dating is, like, they're actually meeting you in person. And if, if no one is interested, it's like, fuck, like, am I that unappealing in person, you know?
0: Later on, we're going to catch up with Ollie again and hear how that all went. But now we're going to meet Christy. A couple of years ago, she went through a divorce that was at least in part over differences when it came to wanting a family. We're kicking off this chapter starting in the months after that split.
4: I um, found myself in my mid-40s and single, and I was
0: thinking about wanting to have a baby. Instead of resigning herself to her new fate... Christy decided she was going to do something about it, even if that meant doing so more or less on her own.
4: So I embarked on a process of working out how I could have a baby as a single woman. But what I found out was that in New Zealand there's a really long waiting list to access clinic donor sperm because there are more people looking to go through fertility treatment using donor sperm than there is donor sperm available. And that waiting list was... Probably too long for me, Mm. given my age and the urgency, really, of trying to get pregnant quite quickly. So I started on a process of looking for a sperm donor. Being a researcher, I did a whole lot of research about, (laughs) you know, how to go through that process and
0: who to approach and not to approach. Trying to get pregnant as a solo mother is tough enough, but where it gets really fascinating is that at the same time that this was happening, Christy had a whole other thing going on.
4: So that was going on in the one hand, and separately to that, I was, you know, single and had been single for a period of time and knew that I wanted romantic, sexual, intimate company. So I kind of had to make the decision to keep those two processes separate because if I was going to overlap them and think that I was looking for a partner with whom... To get into a serious relationship and then try to have a child in the window of time I had available, that just seemed really
0: unrealistic. It's amazing hearing your research brain co- working yeah. out loud, because <laughs> I can hear how you get, come to this, like, okay, this together, statistically is going to be very difficult, so we'll separate them out, so it yeah, increases increase the, the odds on both sides. Them. But then also, like, the logistics of trying to have a baby on your own and then communicating that while dating. Yes. Like, that... I imagine that wasn't that easy. At no. Times. Yeah. So,
4: and I actually asked the counsellor at the fertility clinic what advice she had, and she said, just you have to tell people as soon as possible. People need to have that information because it could be
0: significant to them. Um, So disclosure, it wasn't in your bio?
4: (laughs) It wasn't in my bio on Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: but it happened fairly early on in the messaging. Yeah,
4: basically I was like, if I went on a date with somebody and was interested enough to go on another date with them, Mm. either on the second or the third date, I would be disclosing, here's this other thing that's going on in my life.
0: Christy did find a donor, and she started the process of trying to get pregnant at home, DIY style, while also going on dates.
4: Like It was sort of an interesting period, it didn't go on for that long, but a period of my life where I was mapping out a calendar where it's like these are the nights where I'm going to be available for going on dates and these are the nights where I want to be home because I'll be ovulating and I'll be, you know, popping up the road to get my little pottle. And, like, the point in my cycle when I'm most easily aroused is the point where I was kind of blocking three nights out because I was going to be doing
0: this insemination. And there was a point where I was like, do I have to keep these two things that separate? What were some of the best... Case scenario interactions that happen, and some of the worst. Yeah, most of the men who I dated who already had children of their
4: own, who took a lot of joy from that, they were like, "Yes, if that's something you want, you should absolutely pursue that." And and it, it is interesting because the only people who reacted negatively, completely understandably, were single men who didn't have children who knew they didn't want to have children. Yeah. So and then it was probably the most important scenario to say. I'm on a path that's taking me to a future that is really different to the one you want to be on.
0: Can I ask a question mm. that you don't have to answer? Sure. When you say casual dating, do you mean casual sex?
4: Yeah. But, like, interestingly, and I think this is probably a function of age, mm. but most of these dates were with people who were looking to establish some other kind of connection before they would want to have a sexual connection. Mm. None of these men were interested in hookups. Which is why I think the counsellor was absolutely right to Mm. say you should tell people sooner rather than later. And, you know, there was this sort of bizarre conversation with one person. I mean it was bizarre to me. But when I told him that I was, you know, trying to get pregnant through a sperm donor, he was really like I don't understand why you would have recreational sex that isn't related to getting pregnant and then, separately to that, use a sperm donor to try and get pregnant. And I was like, really? You can't understand why I might want to get pregnant with the sperm donor who's been my friend for 15 years and who I know really well and who I can have an agreement about what their role in the future life of that child would be and, you know, sex for pleasure with people who I've known for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I actually got the feeling that he found it bizarre that a woman would want sex for pleasure, having completely separated it from the desire to to
0: become pregnant and have a child. I know Christy about as well as you do, but it doesn't take much to get the impression she's someone who likes to have a plan. And we all know what they say about best laid plans.
4: So what happened was I started seeing somebody uh, and he, fairly early on, he was like, yeah, I'm not interested in dating you if you're seeing other people not because there's anything wrong with you doing that, but because that's not going to work for me. And I had had other men say that to me in the past, and when they did, I was like, all right, that's fine then, see ya. Um, But in this case, I felt differently about it, so that was probably a pretty clear sign. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I would probably be willing to just kind of see this person exclusively, and told him very quickly um, because I was, like, right in the thick of you know, trying to get pregnant at that moment and in two weeks' time I you know, I could be telling you that I'm pregnant. So oh I feel like I should probably tell you now. Um,
0: otherwise I'm not mobile. seeing anyone else, but there is other sperm in my body. <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the his immediate reaction was similar to most of the well, the other handful, I don't want to make it sound like there's dozens of them. All oh, like the, the other, other handful men. Of men who I had that conversation with, who had children, which was immediately was like, if that's something you want, go for it.
0: Christy would have continued on her two side-by-side paths of, on the one hand, trying to get pregnant, and on the other, exploring this new relationship. But quite suddenly, her donor's situation changed, and that path to parenthood began to fall away under her feet.
4: Then I was left with this, okay, I, do I go through the process of finding a new donor? And my new boyfriend and I had been dating at that point for five coming up six months. So pretty new, but I guess maybe when you're in your mid-40s, five or six months. So how how like two years in, in yeah. young dating <laughs> exactly. life. Exactly, it's like <laughs> two years in young dating life. And he, yeah, he said, you know, if this is important to you, I would rather, rather than you finding a new donor, I'd rather we... You know, tried to do this together. It wasn't even on my radar that I would date somebody who would say, oh, actually,
0: I'm, I would be up for doing that with you, and um, which is what happened. The point to the story isn't that if you find yourself wanting love and also a baby, separating those things out can lead to you getting it all in one tidy little package. The point, and the reason Christy wanted to talk to me, is that sometimes we're told a story that becomes so deeply entrenched, we don't see there could be other roads to the thing we want. Difficult roads, yes, but not always impossible.
4: I wish that it had occurred to me sooner in my life that... I could separate these two things out. If it occurred to me, I dismissed it because it seemed impossibly hard. And it really just was women who I knew who were single parents who said to me, it's not impossibly hard. It's hard, but it's not impossibly hard. Mm. Like, you know, look at me, I'm doing it. And a complex mix of factors that have to come together and for that to also be the only pathway that you have to becoming a parent you know, it can feel like you have very little control over that. And then I think the other thing was, somehow I had this really strange, deeply internalised belief that if there wasn't anybody out there who wanted to have a baby with me, then I kind of didn't i didn't deserve one, I didn't get one. There are ways to pursue it, and they're not easy. But you're allowed to, like you're allowed to pursue that. And you might be surprised, I was surprised at how many people were like, we're here for this. Like, we're here for this. And sort of had a rallying around me
0: of friends and family. Thank you so much, Christy, and good luck with everything to come. Christy and I spoke a few weeks ago, and I've since checked in again. She and her boyfriend are still at the trying part of the journey, but she's agreed to keep us updated. Before we move on from Christy entirely, I did want to share another thing that she said that felt important to include, because it's not just women who will be relating to this. As I've
4: kind of aged out of my 30s and into my 40s, I've become more and more aware of the men in my life who very much want and hope and dream and aspire to be a parent and to have a family. And they're often invisible. I think, you know, you can feel quite invisible as a woman of a certain age who wants, but you know, to have children and hasn't. Mm. But I think the
0: men who are in that situation are more invisible and they are out there. If that sounds like you and you'd be open to potentially talking with me, you can email me at bang at radioNZ.co.nz. Now, I know some of you are still waiting for an update from Ollie, but first there's one more person I want you to meet.
3: Hey, I'm Pinky. I'm uh, 31. I am a freelance artist and illustrator, and I'm here to talk about dating while blind.
0: For people listening who haven't met you, there's a, immediately, there's probably some people being like, how do you use Tinder when you're blind? Uh-huh. So yeah. I feel like maybe you need to tell us a little bit more about all of that as well.
3: Yeah. So most people have some sort of vision if they're considered blind. So my specific condition, I have known I've had it since a kid and it's degenerative. It's not sort of constant. It's kind of random. It just gets worse in a few weeks sometimes or it's fine. It's stable for years. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sounds stressful. It is stressful, but, you know, when you've known you've had it your whole life, you sort of do get used to it and you just sort of, like, adjust to it as it goes. So um, it's important to note that the degeneration is in the peripheral of my eyes. So basically what I've got is I've got tunnel vision and it's sort of getting more tunnelly. <laughs> yeah. That the hole is getting smaller. Yeah. And also I've got no night vision, which I know sounds stupid because everyone's like, well, I can't see at night. But where most people would be able to adjust to the light, I just can't. And that's when I am like completely blind. Like I close my eyes and it's exactly the same.
0: The reason that I've reached out to you to talk with me is because you shared some of the messages <laughs> you received on Tinder on Twitter. <laughs> which were Um, I guess it's good that you're laughing. Yeah. They probably wouldn't be that funny if you got enough of them or...
3: Yeah, because I I don't put on my profile that I am blind because it's, yes, it is like a big part of me and I'm not ashamed of it at all, but there's this whole spiel that goes along with it and I'm not going to write that whole thing.
0: So people look at you and just like everyone else, they think, oh, she's cute, I'll swipe that way and then you start messaging and is it at that point that you're like, hey, there's this thing you should know about me?
3: Yeah, I don't do it straight away. On Tinder, it's very frustrating. It's like, hey, what's up? Hey, like, not much, you know, and you're like, oh, this isn't going anywhere. I just, I can't be bothered wasting my time unless I'm actually gonna see them, you Mm. know? So, how does the conversation usually go? Oh, talk about the one that I shared on Twitter. (laughs) And um, so that guy, you know, we were just talking, but then he was like, oh, hey, tell me something interesting about yourself, and I was like, well, okay, Sweet. here we go. and I was like, well, I'm legally blind, and the dog in the pictures is my guide dog, and he was like, so can you drive a car? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I cannot, and he was like, wow, that's like blind blind, right? And I was like, yes, it's pretty blind, and he was like, wait, how are you typing,
0: <laughs> when I read that message, I was like, "Oh, this dude! Like, come on, just try a bit harder." But then also, like, before I met you, there were things that I wasn't sure about. No, with, I know, like your the- use of Twitter or like a meeting at night could be hard because it's dark. Mm.
3: Well, also the fact that I have a guide dog means that you know when people say like if you don't like dogs, that's a deal breaker. That is a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you don't like dogs, <laughs> I can't. You know, this dog is with me like all the time, so
0: <laughs> no dog allergies. Yeah, so if they've got dog allergy, yeah. <laughs> that could be something in the profile. Like, if you're allergic to dogs, <laughs> yeah, my gu- my guide dog might be a problem. And then you leave it at that. Oh,
3: yeah. That could be. That's maybe. a good one. That I like be. that.
0: So I've only actually been on a
3: couple of, like, physical dates. And I always, I want to go somewhere where I've been before. And I know that they've been okay with the guide dog. Yeah. Legally, they have to let you take a guide dog into places but sometimes they're really weird about it if they don't know about it if it's a different culture so like I'm yeah I'm terrified of going on a date with someone and being denied like
0: that would just be so embarrassing and awful have you like enjoyed the dating process?
3: Yeah. Like, well I mean it's so You haven't deleted though.
0: Tinder and been like, ah oh, yeah <laughs> in the last year. Or oh yeah, maybe? I've
3: deleted I delete <laughs> it like every week and then reactivate it. And there's so many outdoorsy guys on there, they're all like, I live to climb mountains and shit. I'm like, I can't climb a fucking mountain. Like, I can't see. So I'm just like, No. There's so many things I have to take into consideration. Like, I feel like I'm looking at this person like, would they be weird about blindness like would they be weird about it like how can you know you can't
0: oh man that's a lot (laughs) it's a lot I mean it makes just going to a party and hooking up sound like well this is far preferable I feel like people are a lot more
3: comfortable like if I and I am more comfortable I just meet them in real life and they're like
0: oh okay she's normal and then it's fine what would make the whole process easier and nicer and less painful for you
3: I went on a really good date with this guy because he was, like, leaving town in a few days. So we um, had to arrange the date quite quickly. So I didn't have much time to get freaked out about it. And um, I was like, oh, just so you know, I have a guide dog and I'm blind. Um, and he was like, oh, cool. Like, I'd tell you not to worry about it, but you're obviously not. And, you, I, yeah, I can't, like, tell people not to be nervous about it, but... He just treated me like a normal person, mm. which I think is all I want. Really. Yeah.
0: Potentially, it's just about like chilling on the questions until you've actually met face to face and you've developed a rapport.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think you're right. That's what it is. Gradually, like seeing how I do stuff, or uh, yeah, asking at the time, or just like observing. You know, it's important for people to realise that disabled people are used to their condition most of the time if they've had it for a long time, mm. and usually they will ask you if they need something. I saw recently on the news that a guy has actually made a dating app specifically for disabled people, and um, that's a really hard one for me because I feel like, yeah, I I can see how that would specifically be good for some people, but it also makes me really fucking sad Mm. that we need a specific... (laughs) dating app for disabled people, like Mm. isn't that, I just feel like it does nothing to like integrate, you know, us into the normal dating experience. And I understand that that has been created out of necessity, which is really sad to me. Mm. And I hope at some point it doesn't have to be like that.
0: Thank you, Pinky. I can't help listeners find her on Tinder, but if you're curious to check out her artwork, she actually does the illustrations for Bang, and you can find them on the RNZ website by searching Bang. Okay, it's what you've all been waiting for. It's time to check back in with Ollie. On the day of the speed dating event, I gave him a recorder Testing,
1: testing one, two, three In
0: the hope we might capture some of the beautiful, awkward magic that happens on first dates And he definitely delivered
1: So, I'm just walking down to the event now Just had a quick outfit change My usual style is a bit of a cross between lumberjack and bogan So, I Felt the urge to go and buy a shirt that's maybe still slightly lumberjack but maybe a little less bogan than usual. Um, so is that something that's so? I guess it is. I think so, yeah. Sweet. I, guess so. yeah. I like the whiskey idea. <laughs> I am a whiskey fan. Tastes good too. Good, oh, yeah. well, that's good. Yeah. Why did you?
4: Um,
1: but anyway. So, <laughs> how, was your, how was your day was <laughs> you? So, have
2: you done this before? No. <laughs> Holy shit, no. Um, me and my friend just, I no, don't just came up in conversation one day. And we just were like, speak to we should try that.
1: Right. <laughs> it's a, yeah.
0: pretty hard to hear, so we're going to stop eavesdropping for now, but you definitely do get a feel for how the night went based on that little snippet. A couple of days after speed dating, I caught up with Ollie one last time to talk about how it all went.
1: Yeah, it was actually really um, charming and fun, I suppose, are the words that I used to describe it.
0: Is that how you would describe dates through social media apps?
1: Definitely not. Well, they can be, you know, fun and charming, but I think that... The difference between, you know, um, the speed dating event and those is that it's kind of a, a less pressured way to just kind of have a chat to someone. You know, you're there at a facilitated event that other people are at. There's not that kind of pressure of, like, you, know, you have to organise something and pick a venue and mm-hmm. just kind of wrangle people and find time that people have. and
0: In the lead-up, it felt almost like it was going to be a
1: higher-pressure situation. Well, actually, that's that was my thought as well. Like, I was more nervous about it than I would be if I were just meeting one person for the same time. There's a competitive element that I think you think of before you go into it, like what are the other guys going to be like or uh, who's going to be the most popular or whatever.
0: Was that less important on the night?
1: Yeah. There was definitely a sense of camaraderie, I suppose. Everyone was sort of there for the same reasons, but no no one's expectations were super high. Well, I, it seemed like that anyway. I think yeah. some people did have higher expectations than... They probably led on,
0: so did you get any matches? I did as many people as you ticked ticked you back. Yeah, that feels yeah. like a great success, right?
1: yeah, I think that um, that was kind of one of the worries was it's sort of like a confidence, yeah, it's a public booster. rejection thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah totally. totally as a teenager and a kind of a younger man, I never really felt that appealing to women and I had lots of friends who were kind of in the same boat like at high school I was i was never like the start of, uh, of high school and at university it's really
0: hard to believe now
1: but. oh yeah thanks <laughs> um I think that I've realized as I get older that maybe those idealistic kind of ideas about A man or whatever that woman used to hold are fading a bit, so someone like me starts having more of a chance.
0: So, as a, especially at a boys' school, you had an idea that what is appealing to women was this like, he's the sporty guy, he's real confident, he's got golden hair that shines in the sun, and
1: boyish, conventional good looks.
0: Now, from our kind of eternally wise older points of view, Mm. it it feels well, at least to me, it feels obvious looking back that people like. All sorts of different people, you know, like that vision of masculinity, like we're told it's the one, but it's not the one. Do you kind of wish that as a teenager you'd known that?
1: I think so, because I think it did actually, uh, you know, inform uh, some really negative behaviours that I've had as as an adult man, you know. Feeling unworthy, but acting like a bit of a dick because of that. And inadvertently, sometimes you do make them feel... Unworthy as well because you feel so bad, you're trying to bring them down to a level that.
0: So you can feel safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, do you know all of this because you've been talking to someone like a therapist or you've. I mean, we don't have to get into that as well, but it feels yeah. like there's a real degree of self reflection and self knowledge yeah. on your part.
1: I did go down that path a couple of years ago, yeah. and that was due to a really messy breakup. And it was a real blessing in lots of ways because it did make me really think about who I am and how I exist in the world. What makes me lovable to my friends and family and potentially a partner. I sort of feel like, for me, it's a natural place to be at a a place of low self-worth, you know? Mm. Like, that's my natural disposition, Yeah. yeah. And it's almost unnerving when I'm not there.
0: Would you say, based on your just everyday life experience and your relationships with your male friends, that some of the feelings you're talking about of a lack of worthiness and confidence are things that other men or a lot of other men would relate to?
1: Hugely, yeah. And I think that I do realise more and more just how many guys do have that. And it does impact on their relationships. Like guys I know who are unfaithful and you know, that seems to be really rife. Maybe if they had have expressed it or talked about it a bit more, they could have hammed it out before anything major.
0: Before it got to that. Yeah. Because part of the issue, I guess, um, where women may feel confusion or all of those things, you know, we can express that without our entire sense of self being called into question, but Mm. you haven't been given permission or really taught how to do that.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's why I guess like, I feel lucky in lots of ways that I've had you know, times where I've had to learn how to express those things Mm. um, because that really has helped me Mm. hugely Mm. and I just wish that some of my friends who have been through shit had also had the opportunity to do that because I think that if I hadn't, I would have been in similar places to some of them, you know?
0: Thank you so much Ollie. We are going to be looking at masculinity more in depth later in the season so keep an ear out for that. We've got time now for one last conversation though this could easily be its own episode and we may yet look at doing that in a later season. You'll know about the Me Too movement. It was started by Tarana Burke way back in 2006, but it went viral last year, and suddenly all of the important conversations that a lot of us have been waiting for around sexual assault and harassment have been happening in a really public way. But there's also been a bit of kickback. I don't know if you've been lucky enough to avoid them, but there's been quite a few think pieces bemoaning things like the fact that sexual harassment allegations are criminalising courtship, how flirting's now illegal, and how straight men don't know how to act anymore and you need to get three signed contracts before any kind of sexual interaction can begin. It'd be easy to laugh all of this off, but there do seem to be a bunch of people, mostly straight men, who are confused about what is acceptable now, and so we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and answer some of the more common questions that they have with Jean Hannah Edelstein. She's the author who once wrote Himglish and Female's Why Women Don't Get, Why Men Don't Get Them, and she writes a column for The Guardian called Dating After Me Too, and she believes we now find ourselves in a state of flux.
2: I think women are really thinking about what have I been going along with that I'm not actually okay with? And why am I going along with this? And then men who are, like, good are thinking, I actually need to be really careful and I need to ask permission for things. Like, one thing that I wrote about the other week was, should you ask for consent to kiss someone? So there's the argument, which is it's, like, really unromantic to do that, that you, like, ruin the moment. But then there's also the possibility that you are sexually assaulting someone by kissing them. And so between, like slightly bursting the romantic bubble or risking sexual assault. The way to reduce the harm is ask permission. And if someone wants to make out with you and you ask if that's okay, they're not going to change their mind. And genuinely, I've had a couple of young men write to me in their early 20s saying I've heard that you should ask for consent but my friends told me that I'll never pull any girls if I do that I'm just like this is the kind of thing where people are still very
0: confused yeah I feel like a lot of the time we also miss out that asking can be really like hot like of course like I want to kiss you that's not a turn off. no like if you want to kiss that person that is exciting that's very. Time. That's what I mean.
2: It's very exciting. And like, maybe they don't even say anything. They just kiss you back. But there has to be some indication that that is reciprocated. And if it's not there, that is risky. Um, in the past, men were not considering the risk as much. And women were accepting that bad things would happen to them. And so I think everyone needs to think more about sex as like a, a mutual reciprocal conversation between two people, so to speak.
0: In her column, Jean answers questions from readers who feel confused about what's acceptable. Like, can you still approach a woman that you like the look of on the street?
2: If someone is obviously, like, listening to music, super absorbed in a conversation with someone else, they don't look open to being approached, probably don't approach them and, like, have some empathy. Like, if you're in that headspace, do you want some a stranger coming up to you and, like, trying to strike up a conversation? If they look relaxed and happy and they're not doing something else and you're not interrupting them, ask if they know when the bus is coming, like that kind of thing. And if they find you appealing and they want to have a conversation with you, then they'll start having a conversation. And if they don't, that's okay. And I think that's part of the problem. Again, it's like talking about this like fear of rejection. A lot of women feel like, you know, they're intimidated because they've had experiences where men have approached them and when they haven't immediately been enthusiastic, men have gotten very, like, angry and mean to them. No one is obligated to talk to you
0: because you think they're cute. What about somewhere where people are potentially more there for the pur- – or could be? The the chances are higher that they could be there for the purpose of meeting someone else like at yeah. a bar.
2: Yeah, in a bar or a party or something like that, you can make a decent guess. They're more open to meeting people there because that's why people go to bars, to socialize. However, they may be there socializing with their existing friends. And again, if they're not interested in talking to you, that's okay. It's not a personal rejection of you. Someone who doesn't know you can't reject you. They can be uninterested in you, but you can't take that as a rejection just because someone you've never met before is not interested in getting to know you further.
0: So what about, um, I mean, obviously in the workplace is a big one that's been having a lot of conversation around it at the moment. Like, can you ask out a co-worker? Obviously, I think there are
2: some, like, very basic rules, which is, like, if you're a manager, you cannot ask out anyone who you manage. And why is that um, for people who don't beca- understand why? Because of the power dynamic that, like, if someone's employment is something that you can decide you can either cause them to lose their job or you can cause the nature of their job to be affected then it's not fair for you to ask them out because you know what they'll be in a situation where it's hard to say no I think when it comes to colleagues dating who are like peers definitely doable one I would say is truly like have a friendship with them first Second, I always say if someone wants to start dating a colleague, that's great, but you should care more about dating them than about your job because if the relationship doesn't work, or even if the relationship works, it can become untenable for you both to continue working at the company.
0: Do you think part of the reluctance towards all of this is that the myth of the bad guy gets the girl pervades? Oh, yes.
2: (laughs) Mm. I mean, absolutely, and I will say my own In my own romantic life. So I'm 36 and I got married less than a year ago and I dated some bad guys for a long time. And it's surprising because I really grew up in a very sort of feminist household. My dad and my grandfather were both really great men, great role models. And then I dated a lot of men who were very unkind to me. And for some reason I felt like real compulsion to kind of like win them over. And I think that does go back to that trope that, you know, love should be difficult and dramatic, and that like passion only happens if you're crying a lot. (laughs) I mean, I think it is true that, especially when you're young, people who seem more difficult and dramatic can seem more interesting. And that's because of what we learn in like every story and every film and every TV show that we, that we, um, And And so a lot of the Me Too stuff comes down to that, too, that men think they have to be mean. You know, treat treat him mean to keep him keen. People really believe that.
0: That's it for us this time but before you head off, this season we're going to have an episode that looks at frequently asked questions or maybe questions that are never asked about sex, sexuality and relationships. So far we've received some really good ones about asexuality, about the logistics of lesbian sex and what attitudes to sex were like in Te Ao Māori before Pākehā arrived. But if you've got something that you want to add to the mix, please email bang at radionz.co.nz and I'll start researching on your behalf. If you have questions about dating, maybe you're wondering what you're doing wrong or what you should be looking for or you haven't heard back from someone in a while, we're going to be live in the studio with relationship specialist Margot Regan and Nights with Brian Crump at 9.30 on Wednesday, June 6th. You can email me or download the RNZ Voxpop app and record your question. Thanks for listening. To subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Review and rate us if you get a minute. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, and engineered by William Saunders. The executive producer was Tim Watkin. Next week, we explore some of the complicated ways that sexuality can play out in people's lives.